podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello, good evening, and welcome to episode 343. Is that a palindrome? I think it is. Of Film Bastards. My name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by. Hello, everyone. I think I successfully spun them out. Who else are we joined by this week? We're joined by Portrait of a Jordan on Fire. Portrait of a Jordan on Fire, McGrath. Um, it's U.S. McGraths. Yes. Okay, that'll do. Um, Mark and Becky don't know what uh, Jordan and I were just talking about. And um, that will forever be the case because they don't subscribe to the Patreon. Patreon.com <laughs> forward slash film bastards. Two dollars a month and find out what Jordan and I were talking about. Spoiler, it was about the lockdown. Um, <laughs> we are on week four. Week, week. We are week four, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so our, our, our Skype has just decided to this second start working on the laptop. So of course I'm it has. On, I'm going to call you back on there. Okay, do you want us to stop? I'll stop and I'll call you back now. Okay, all right. Um, while Mark does that, fuck you now. <laughs> um, coming up on this week's show, we've got reviews of... What a mixed bag this is. So, I believe we've all seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Hello. Hello, Mark. Um, so, we've all seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I believe. I yes. believe Mark, Becky, and Jordan have all seen the Jesse Eisenberg, Imogen Pooter starring Vivarium. Yes. Mark and I have seen Trolls World Tour. I've seen it too. And Becky watched yes. it as well. Becky has seen Trolls World Tour. Fantastic. I was a little unsure. And uh, Mark, Becky and myself have seen U.S. Marshals. So uh, Mark is, um, well, Mark and Becky. uh, So Becky, did you see Vivarium? Yes. Right. Okay. So Mark and Becky have seen all of them. I've seen all but one and Jordan's seen all but two. Yeah. Half. 50%. Yeah. There you go. So that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I didn't watch uh, Vivarium because I didn't think I was going to be able to get around to it. And then I ended up spending three and a half hours playing Resident Evil 3 last night. Um, I then had an awful night's sleep 
and have decided to never play that game again. Becky, don't at me. Um, coming up on this week's show was all that stuff. I didn't say coming up on this week's show. I'm very discombobulated. It's because I'm recording downstairs in the living room, which I never do. Um, and it's really weirded me out. I'm unsure what the dog's doing. I think she's in her cage. So it all is well. Um, so before we do anything else, um, I think I just need to get the results of my poll up. So I'm just going to get my phone. Bear with. How are you, Jordan? I am well. How are you two? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Good, good, good. Getting through it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, That's it. It's difficult to stay at home. It is, I mean, I think the weekends are harder than the weekdays, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's that thing that you kind of just got to go. Do you know what? I can't do anything about it, but it, it, it is starting to grate somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first you're like, oh, you know, it's not that bad. I can, like, I'll be at home. It'd be nice, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then very quickly you run out of the motivation to do anything at uh, all, yeah. apart from the stuff you have to do. Yeah. I want to knock you outside a supermarket anymore. That's what I want to do. Oh, God, yeah, it's fucking shit. I said this to Mark last night when we were when we were going for our little walk. I, I'm just, I'm looking forward to the day when you can just pop to the fucking shop. And it not have to be like a two-hour expedition. You're, you're not you, literally the the moment when you leave, right? It's that thing of like normal life when you get home and you go da 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 da, da and then your partner or whoever turns around and says, "Say, oh, did you get butter?" And you go, "Shit, I didn't get butter." And you think, "I'll just whip to the local shop or I'll, I'll go tomorrow." Now it's like, "Did you get butter?" It's like, "Oh God, no." <laughs> Oh, I it's the thing what we found is to try and stay away from like the big central supermarkets and there's a little food hall that is i mean it's farther away from us but there's barely ever a queue out of it um and it's mainly like it's mainly a butcher's but they actually do fresh fruit and veg and dried pasta and basically all your all your food there so we've just been going there for our shopping and it's been it's been bearable, to be honest. I mean, sometimes you do forget stuff when you have to go, but it's not too bad. Like, I was saying, it's terrible. Like, it's there's always a, a queue of there for about, like, maybe, maybe 30, 40 people. Um, but, yeah, it's... I wasn't, I wasn't too bad. It's, it's about, not as bad as It's about a 10-minute queue um, for hours. But, like, last night, we went out of beer, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and we were going out, we went on a nightly walk and walked by with like a little mini Tesco near us. We're walking by it and we're going, I mean, I know it's not an essential and it literally is the only thing we need, but there's no queue. There's nobody else in there because they close in 10 minutes. Fuck it, I'm going to get some beer. But you do that, <laughs> don't you? You feel guilty. Like, if you do just want some fucking beers, you're like, right, I better get some fucking potatoes or something as well <laughs> while I'm there so it looks yeah. like potatoes for dinner. No, you Just do. pounds of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, we need to stop talking about quarantine. We need <laughs> we, what we do need to talk about, guys, is a poll. Go on then. So, some images from Denis Villeneuve's Dune came out. Um, like one image yesterday and a few more today, and uh, 
yeah, quite frankly, uh, does Oscar Isaac in Dune make you wet? Got fifty eight percent of the of the of the vote, winning out against Moist, which got forty two percent of the vote. So um, I voted Oscar- wet. <laughs> you see, I either, couldn't. Either way, there's a liquid reaction. But yeah. m- Moist has a certain clammy seediness to it hang to it doesn't it that's that's the thing so uh yeah i mean even though my wife then said that he looks like he's in like Crichton cosplay um <laughs> let's be honest that's a creative with all fuck <laughs> i mean that's that's the thing i mean like he just looks commanding <laughs> and I haven't seen this picture. I'm just finding it. No, I don't want to go on fucking June London. Fuck off. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that's you don't. don't. <laughs> you'll, you'll slide off your seat. <laughs> <laughs> Grim. I mean, this is this is the great thing. Like they've made the ultimate casting choice of having both Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson and Zendaya all in the same film oh and you know interesting hang on and you got Josh Brolin for all the Chungus fans out there as well so you do I it's um I mean I I I love it because it's obviously gonna be utterly batshit in the concepts it's trying to throw out at you so it's like here are legit stars and pretty people to just kind of like get you through that. Um, I really want a trailer very badly and I've got a feeling we're not going to get one for a long time. He's got a fucking eye patch on. I don't know. I I just just edited that one. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't have an eye patch. (laughs) Maybe you should get an eye patch. (laughs) Yeah. You sounded really into that, Becky. Do you like guys with eye patches? And I looked pretty cool in the context of that picture. I'll, I'll try and find the picture and send it to you. <laughs> it's, I think it's interesting that they've gone with images of pretty people before, way before a trailer. Because I, this film's going to be weird. Like, maybe not, like, properly art house weird, but weird enough for mainstream audiences to go, what? I mean, a little bit. No, absolutely. But I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm into it. I'm, I'm into, I'm into all of it. Um, Zendaya, with the, the, the kind of like the creepy blue eyes. Yeah, sure. Why not? Rebecca Ferguson. Yep, absolutely. Um, Oscar Isaac plus Rebecca Ferguson equals Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That seems to add up. Yeah, like, yeah, that, 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 I, I've checked the maths. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, really looking forward to it. I, th- it's interesting that they've done this big Vanity Fair piece because, like, there's a lot of speculation that Dune is going to get delayed. Um, it's all going to depend on Tenet. If Tenet manages to come out in July, Dune comes out in December. Yeah, that's that's, that's literally it. Yeah, because if, if Tenet gets put back to December, they won't want Tenet and June at the same time. June will be March. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think we'll find out really within the next month regarding that. Um, I think yeah. if we, if we aren't in lockdown 
before, sorry, if we aren't out of lockdown before, say, the end of May, then tenant will get pushed just because of fears that things will get delayed sort of politically and socially. Whereas if we come out of lockdown in three weeks' time, then I think it'll stay July. I, it just... It's fascinating now, though, isn't it? Because, like, it's Soul, the Pixar film, got moved to November today as well. So it's um, fucking hell. People who don't like us talking about release schedules and shit must be skipping the news section. Like, no one's. I don't care. I love talking about this shit. Soul has moved to November. So literally the first big, big film out now, I believe, is Tenet with Mulan following a week later. Yeah, that is that is probably I think the next the, the first big what like, the next big release is Tenet in two months. Like <laughs> no, in like three months. <laughs> it's fucking three months, Jesus Christ. So that's the thing. It's like if they can open in June, what happens then? Do they like because Disney aren't gonna go? Oh, do you know what? Yeah, Mulan will stick it in June. You know, like Quiet Place has already been. I tell you what then is the time of new mutants. You've got to think also, is like what restrictions are going to be put in place. So, for example, if Tenet does come out in July, and I think we'll be going back to work and, th- and certain things will be opening, but certain things won't be until later, that are there going to be restrictions on seating in the cinemas? Like, are you going to, like, for example, if you're not from the same household, is there going to be, like, a seat... Um, I, I, I think between be, people there'll be there'll be two seats in between any group there, which means that I think me and me and Ian spoke about this. Um, what they'll probably do is they'll probably go right. Do you know what? We've not got many films out. Let's just fucking go right. Tenet, you can have five what, screens. You can have half yeah, the yeah. screens in the cinema, if not more. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the only thing. So obviously, if you if you, if that wasn't the case, then even though it could be a huge hit, but you aren't going to get the the revenue. No, I mean, no, I mean that, that, that's it. It's like it was interesting. They tried to reopen cinemas in China, I think, the week before last, and they were doing um, 3D re-releases of old Harry Potter films. Um, <laughs> you know, but then like literally, some of them opened their doors, and a few hours later, the Chinese government said, "Actually, no. Do you know what? It's too soon," and they closed them all again. Um, I mean, maybe that was just members of the Chinese government just went went. I am not taking this fucking kid to see that fucking wizard anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, yeah, like the Chinese government were just like, 3D is a sham. This must be stopped. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's yeah. What do you mean this wasn't filmed in 3D? Close all the cinemas. <laughs> um, but, um, no, I mean, the, 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 I, this is it though. It's um. You know, AMC in the US, there was a report that came out, um, I think, yesterday saying that they're looking into chapter 19 or whatever it is, bankruptcy. AMC owns Odeon. It's, you know, and I mean, like, I I, I think Odeon would be all right. In the end of the day, some private equity firm would fucking buy them and go, all right, like buy them for a fucking killing. Just go, all right, then we're going to have to wait a couple of minutes and then booyah. You know, that, that's, that's it. I think there's going to be if the cinema goes under, it won't disappear because they've got too much. They've got too much physical space for not for somebody like you say to not go. Well, hang on a minute. 
this is going to be a boom industry again within the next 18 months. Let's get it. And I mean, th- th- this is the thing. It's like we were talking a few weeks back when Universal announced about Invisible Man and the Hunt and Trolls World Tour. Like, is this the start of something? No, it's the start of fuck all. No. Like, okay, fine. Military wives, misbehavior, bloodshot. They've all like come out in one form or another. Um, but apart from that, what like Artemis Fowls on Disney Plus? Fair enough. Disney don't have space in their calendar and that was always the red-headed stepchild um you know New Mutants doesn't have a date does that maybe go to stream I'd like I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney are just like look let's just see how this goes and if we stick it out in October as a scary film we stick it out in October yeah, it's a bit like it is a bit like do you know what we'll use that as like our you know fucking get out of jail fucking free card there you go fuck it we'll throw it there yeah I mean it, it's um yeah, it just it it really all depends now. Like if if it now if it then looks like cinemas aren't going to open until September or something like that, you could see them going. Do you know what? Fuck it, New Mutant, stick it on a stick it as premium VOD. Um, but like I say, the floodgates haven't opened. It it's interesting if this happened in like October, November, where there's more kind of award season films that don't necessarily need to have a big presence theatrically, would it have been different then? You know, with the summer movies, they need the money that, you know, a, a, a cinema audience can can give. You know, if it was, um, I'm trying to think of an equivalent film from fucking last year, um, Ford versus Ferrari. You know, like if, if it was like, right, cinemas aren't going to be open for four months, it's November. They're not going to be open until March, April. Would they have gone? Do you know what? Ford versus Ferrari. Stick it on. Stick it on streaming. As long as it still qualifies for Oscars, go for it. You know, it's. Um, I mean, obviously, it's one of those like what ifs. You know, we'll never know. But I, I, I think that shit's quite interesting. If, if, if other people don't, I apologise. Um, it's, it's just going to depend now. They're far enough away that there is breathing space. If mid July is now the date that is literally three months away in they should be open i mean they should be but it's strange as well when you've got to think about we're talking about worldwide whereas english cinemas may be open american cinemas may not so therefore we could be in a situation where trump Trump's going to have everything open in uh, like the first of May, isn't he? For fuck's sake! The, the amusing thing is though, is Trump keeps on going. No, I can do everything. I can make all this open. And keeps saying this. Yeah, uh, governors are going. No, we control it, not you. <laughs> but, but that's it. But again, it, it's we, we could be having UK cinemas open with basically nothing in them, whereas because they are going to release them in the UK and not in the US because that's just that's crazy. So it, it all depends on what happens in the States regarding when things are being released. And the way it's going at the moment, which it's still sort of spiking, um, it's it's not looking good for them, where I think we will be back to a, a certain, I said we, I think, like I'm some sort of expert. Um, I'm really, really not. But it looks like we are following that same sort of dip as Italy, as Spain, we're getting to that plateau and we'll see it not die down, but at least we'll see a bit of bit of normality and hopefully be able to manage it. But here we are talking about sort of the lockdown and coronavirus again. 
But so hopefully we'll be back. But again, it would be only be the smaller um, releases anyhow. Whereas we're, we're seeing things being released online, like for example, was it this weekend where the National Theatre Live released Fleabag on Amazon Prime for like three ninety nine? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The, which stuff like that would be great to go in cinemas again. Hopefully, hopefully not as a ridiculously priced as it was when it went out of cinemas last time, but. Um, that will maybe entice people to go back, or like even like yeah, no, not movie Harry Potter, but retrospective screenings. Well, the weird thing is, um, Cineworld were having a load of um, retrospective screenings mm. uh, scheduled. The problem was a lot of them were um, VIP um, screenings, but there was a few that weren't. We were going to go and see uh, Blade Runner, weren't we? In, VIP, in May, but we were, it was it was it was like literally our the day before our wedding anniversary, wasn't it? So we were going to just start. You know what? Fuck it. We can um we, we can go in for that. You know we can, we can. It's like twenty odd quid. We thought you know what? We get a little bit of food. And we'll go and see Blade Runner. Double bill on it as well. Yeah, it was both. Was it both? Mm. Yeah. I didn't remember that. I don't want to commit to that. <laughs> yeah, it was the double bill. You did. Got to run on money, bastard. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, maybe we'll have more stuff to talk about next week on this, but it kind of feels like it's getting to a point now where all the fucking studios have shuffled their shit around now. Um, I, I Even though I did like that uh, Paramount have moved um, the new SpongeBob film back one week. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, you know, fucking end of July, no way. Beginning of August, go ahead. <laughs> I just, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know. Even though, to be fair, that was part of a larger move because uh, big Anton Fuqua directed uh, Denzel Washington starring film, I believe it was, um, has moved back to next year. So it's taken that spot. But, yeah, who knows? We might have more stuff to talk about next week. Maybe in, maybe before next week, they'll say New Mutants out on streaming a week Friday. <laughs> well, the um, thing is that cause they, they could do that. Because it, it, it's there ready. It's like, for example, the one, but like, like, no time to die is there waiting to be released. Imagine, imagine if that leaked. Yeah. Yeah. I would no. I'm not going to say that because I don't advocate privacy. But um, privacy. Uh, pi- pi- piracy. I sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> piracy. Sorry. I will say that if some. <laughs> if, if some were to blow the person who did that, then I wouldn't be surprised that they felt that way. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey. Right, so we haven't got any trailers, have we? Nobody wants to market any film at the moment, apart from pictures of Dune. And Netflix. They didn't have the extraction. I haven't seen it, but... Uh, I, talked about, I talked about that last week. But, ah, okay. um, yeah, that's... Um, the thing is, the, the kind of the fresh content to review is ever so slightly drying up. So the fact that we've got that like a week Friday is very, very pleasing to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so let's move on. Let's talk about the one that we've all seen first. So this is uh, Portrait of a Lady on the Fire which is directed by Celine Schiama. I'm very sorry if I 
got that wrong. Um, and stars. Celine Shammer. Okay, that well, you correcting me on uh, pronunciation is incredible. I will take it. <laughs> These are fucking weird times. Um, wow. Okay, I did not know that was her from that. Starring uh, Noe. No. Were you what? you then saying who, who were you saying that was her from that? Valeria Galino. Yeah, it was the who is from Hot Shots. The mum in this is played by the love interest in the Hot Shots films. Yeah, has I blown my fucking mind. Literally, when she <laughs> on screen for ten seconds, I was sat there. I just went, pause, pause. It's like what are you doing? It isn't, is it? Is it? I was like, holy fuck, it is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is it's, it's a hell of a thing. Yeah. Wow. Um. And what? Well, yep. Yeah. So Valeria Galino, uh, No Noemi Merlon, Adele Hanel, and Luana Bajrami. Um. So. Uh, this is the story of a kind of a, a well-to-do family. The daughter, Heloise, played by Adele Hanel, um, has been kind of like promised to a man living in Milan. Um, but, you know, they don't have Insta. They don't have Snapchat. What have they got? They got motherfucking paintings. And uh, but <laughs> she refuses to sit for the painting because she doesn't want to get married off. So her mother, played by Valeria Galino, uh, gets in Marianne, played by Noemi uh, Milan. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, to uh, surreptitiously uh, spend time with her and then paint her in secret. Um, there's passion. There's chemistry. There's singing that got my dog very interested. Um Let's start with Admiral Art House. Admiral, <laughs> what did you think of Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Um, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think I might be in the um, minority on this one. But I, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> it. It's a film that is right up my alley. Uh, yeah. Right up my alley. It's low on plot. It's high on style. Um, Claire Mathon's cinematography, the contrast between the the seemingly warm, dark nights the dark um, in the cold windy days and like but what it mostly is like the confidence in the delivery of the entire thing like Celine Shiama picked a subject and really committed to herself to to try and tackle it in many different guises um but at its simplest it's it's a love story a doomed romance and I guess if you find yourself invested in that side of the story um on that pure storytelling level the relationship between the two characters you're going to enjoy what it's doing and and i did i love the subtleties how um the romance unfolds and um, how it unfolds slowly how it's built up on stolen glances and small touches Um, i think shiama really it sort of told that part of the story very effectively um and the powerful the, the, how powerful it is in its stillness but yeah, I mean, I was I was drawn into watching the relationship unfold and the the arguments that it rises, and what it's trying to say, um, and and about whom. Like, does does it tell you more about the subject or the painter, um, 
and what 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 it's looking at. Um, and it's, it seems like every piece of writing that I've seen on this film seems to revolve around this idea of the female gaze and how it represents that of, of, of seeing of a person, the acceptance of that um, person looking and the reciprocation. And yeah, I, I, I like that. And I, I love how it works regarding the, the painting that um, Marianne produces whilst... Um, just sort of looking at her without knowing her and then the painting that she creates whilst in the relationship and as they get closer and closer because there it's a drastic drastic visualization that that you see there with the two paintings but it's for me it's interesting because like it's what the reason for this painting is because although she's been sort of betrothed anyhow it's it's basically an advert it is it, a purpose of a sale of a woman not a sale but and how that becomes visualized as marianne uh, because she's trying to draw something to incite a man through a woman's eyes and i quite like that and i like how the painting becomes visualized as their relationship becomes visualized and the voyeuristic nature of it all and also like there's, there's some scenes within this film especially at the end which i won't spoil we can get it get up into that a bit more but uh, when they when they last see each other and the the reference is back to the story of, of orpheus yeah. and um of Eurysses, i think her name is like the way that comes back in such a way it's it's heartbreaking and that final shot is very powerful and you've got some really nice use of Vivaldi's four seasons as well but yeah i really did enjoy it um i I would have to watch it again because I know it's been lauded as this, this <clears throat> great piece of cinema. I think it is a, a very good piece of cinema, but I think also I would love to see this on a big screen just because of, I think I would have got the vibrancy a bit more than seeing it on my, on my TV. I very much miss listening to Jordan talk about films. I, 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 equally enjoy my time with uh, with mark and bex talking about film but that was uh, that was a lovely summation jordan there's obviously some passion there i'm going to turn it to mark not enough titties foster what did you think of portrait of a lady on fire mark i'm very much with jordan on this one yeah nice. yeah um I, I i thought it was I, I struggle often with um, with period pieces um, in the sense that I, I think that they're that it, sometimes they can be unnecessary um, and sometimes they they lean too much into um, a, a, a facade of a world rather than the actual times and so you get a um, you don't get a true representation of the time when when period dramas often there what you get is the the fanciest bits of all of these things so you get the affluence and you get the parties and they get the banquets and you get the balls and everything like that but you don't actually get the actual lives or you get the other part of it you get the servants lives who are preparing for all of this whereas this just kind of goes right this is a rich family who are marrying off their, their their daughter she's literally being drafted in because the other daughter has killed herself so she doesn't have to get married which is what the film 
portrays as what's happened. Mm. Um, and you just get really what four characters throughout the entire film. Mm. I, I really like the fact that it's it's not trying to. It's set at a time because the time fits the story. They've not written a story to fit with the time. Um, and I, I really like that. I think the, the central performances are fantastic. Um, there's a real... It's, it's, it's quite difficult, I think, to play uh, a level of naivety without coming across as being somebody who comes across as slightly stupid or um, overly naive. Mm. But um, Eloise has a... You can tell she's smart and knows the the world, but has also not experienced very much and seems to be very much in the case of she knows these things because she's read them, but she's never experienced them. But the film never feels like it has to explain that to you. It just kind of goes, right, we're going to drop bits of plot in. She's been living in a convent. There's been all of that. And then lets you fill in the blanks, yeah, which is always it, it? no, which is always really good. Um, like you say, um, job that the fact that you've got this, you know, the um, the lighting is always fantastic. They've got a uh, the days feel a little bit more dingy than you might expect France to appear. Um, and then the nights of a somewhat different to them. Um, I also really enjoyed the the, the almost procedural element of it. Um, so with the paint, rather than it just being you seeing her adding paint to a pre-existing painting that somebody else has done, and that's the accent you go, you get to see the, the building, the building framework of this painting coming through, um, and you get to see the the fact that the first one is completed almost. It, it seems like it's not fussy the way that it's been shot. Mm. It's not. There's very much this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit. Look. Here's the the first painting that she's done. Look, here you go. Here's the painting of what I commented to Becky was why shouldn't the painting of Ellen Page? Um, but then the next one, there's a lot more emphasis on the actual building of that because. But you notice as well with the even with the second painting, she does the first one, doesn't she? And it's quite drab and grey looking. And yeah. She, she's, she's the bit where she says, oh, "I can't, I can't get get you to smile." Mm. And then as their relationship improves mm. and she adds more layers to the painting the painting improves so yeah. it's like it's mirroring it also it's dorian graying it it's also, yeah also i like the fact that it's um it has as well a level of um it's brave in the sense that it's it doesn't feel the need to show you a sex scene yeah um Whereas something, um, what was it a couple of years ago? Um, Blue is the warmest colour. Blue is the warmest colour, yeah. Which basically overtly revelled in showing you their sex scenes. Mm. And it was a bit like, you're there there watching it going, I am bored of those, I am bored of titties now. Fucking up, sorry. That just scared the shit out of me. What, that was bottle of titties? No, sorry. <laughs> Kiki, I thought she was in her cage. She just, right, Lottie's got a spinning chair. Like, let me just fucking... <laughs> right. Oh, I hear that, I hear that, I hear that. 
But but but, but what I'll say as well, I mean, I know I know I've had my piece, but it's like in in the hands of, of of a lesser filmmaker and a lesser storyteller, you would get a scene where they're found out and scandalised and yeah. said this is wrong. Where it it has no it has no care about the outside world about how. No. I mean, there's a there's a complete lack. I mean, it, I think it's in the in the first scene in the last scene where there's actually men on screen. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I about. Two thirds way through it, I start. I thought, wait a minute, I, 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 there's not been a guy in this movie. Oh, then I remembered. Oh yeah, there was. It literally on the ship, and then the guy yeah. who picks the painting, and that's that's it. But yeah, the the, uh, the scene where I thought there was going to be the the scene where oh my god they get found out was the morning when they wake up and her mother's come back and they wake up to, next to each other. Um, I thought oh. We're gonna get a pan that's gonna to come to the mother who's gonna see them half naked in bed, and it's gonna be the big scandal scene or anything like that. And it's gonna, like you say, it would have, it would have kind of fallen apart a little bit there. But like, it's not, it's not interested in um, the spectacle. It's no. trying to tell that story, and I, I, I was, I was actually really quite taken by it, to be honest. I just, just for context for the for the show. So this spinning chair, the dog was in it asleep and I didn't know she was, but she was span round the other way. So I didn't know she was there. She just fucking span it around and jumped out of it and scared the fucking shit out of me. I had my mic on mute. I'm so glad I did because that would have been embarrassing. Sorry. Um, Bex. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, very, very much the same as as. You guys, to be fair, um, what I really liked about it was the the kind of the sadness to the tone of it, like the, the, the fatality of it. Like they know they've only got this time while the mother's away, but they're going to have like they're going to have that time. Um, there's no kind of oh run away with me kind of scene or, you know, she doesn't go find her afterwards and like take up with her in Milan or anything like that it's just they have this time and then it's done um and I think the 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 sadness of that kind of comes through um the no bassoon for Jerry song was really good (laughs) around the campfire enjoyed that don't know what the real words are can't find it online so that's what I'm going with um yeah I thought yeah I really really loved it it's I started watching this in the worst way because obviously we've just had a long Easter weekend and I was pretty drunk when I started watching this. Nah, that's not, that's not correct. Um, and no, I, it, I, it, it, it's not, a, it's not a drunk watch. <laughs> no, I was like 20, 25 minutes into it. And I, I WhatsApped you guys saying like, actually, I probably won't say what I actually said, <laughs> but like I made quite clear is something else going to happen here? And uh, yeah, and, and then I, w- I watched the rest in a, in a much more level-headed state. And I'm, I can see what if I, I think George said if if this fuck if this speaks to you, I can see why it's basically your Woodstock. Um, and I respect that, and I am not going to poo-poo that. 
for myself, I really liked it. And weirdly enough, for a, uh, for a film called Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's a film that has images that stay yes. in my mind. Um, but I, I, I will say the the relationship with the, like the, the the subplot with the maid. Yeah, I didn't need that. Yeah, I didn't need that. Little bit. What was yeah. And then literally they 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 took a 1800s photo, so yeah, essentially a painting of the moment she had an abortion. Yeah, yeah. that was weird. Though. That was a bit odd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I I'm sure there is there is thought behind that, and I could I could read up on exactly what that meant, but in the moment, I'm a little bit. I, I okay there's this this feminine connection moment and you know we we like a man is not needed for for this particular moment I fair enough I'm more interested in the in the sensual duo who have undeniable chemistry like that it's you know not not to be too fucking seedy about it which is weird coming from me but like it's hot you know, it, it it is those two fucking like the like the odd little looks at each there, there, other. There is there is a specific moment where where literally Heloise is looking at her and you're going that there is literally I'm gonna fuck you eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not I yeah. want to. I'm going to. And uh, yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, like the bit in the kind of like the the cave in the, in the beach, it's just like it's perfect. It's like, yep, yeah, that that needed to happen then. Um, it, yeah, it, it's it, it, it's a pretty yeah, it's a pretty terrific film. Um, and think, I, what, what I like what I like about it as well, sorry, is the fact yeah, that yeah. you we're talking about stuff, but if you want to go a level deeper, stuff is there. And essays will be written about this. I mean, gender studies essays will be written about this for God decades now. Yeah. But um, if if you just want to enjoy it on a, 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 a love story level, you can. If you want to enjoy it on like th- you can peel away the the the, the, the leaves of the onion, you can. Uh, the only thing that you've got to let it do is maybe wash over you with its pacing. But I love a slow paced. Um, story and I, I love stuff being given time so that you can build on um that relationship i think with a film like this you've got to if you're gonna have a, a pensiveness to it and a um they didn't feel like there was a lot of lingering shots no. uh there it seemed like it was it was definitely making use of its runtime. Mm, yeah, and it's a, yeah, and occasionally you can get films that are um, that that have lingering shots that are still fantastic, but you do look at them sometimes and go, okay, you, do you know what? That's good, but I do want the story to move along now. Um, but this, it, it didn't. It, I, it, it, it's a two-hour movie that feels like it's like a hundred minute movie. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, it's, it's just, it's full of thought that me Ian said Ian with, with the images. It's like, I mentioned that, that final scene that they have on the Island where she basically 
Eloise comes and says, turn around. Oh, and she's there, yeah. she's, she's, she's there in that white gown. It's like, she's already a ghost. She's already not part of that woman's life. Just the way um, the door closes on her and it just, like, the darkness kind of, like, envelops her just as the door's shut in. It's, and the fact that it's so quick as well, like you said, like, just, like, not lingering. It's such a quick shot, but it fucking stays with you. Yeah, and then you get the, the, the reference back to her painting of Orpheus and um, Eurysthenes or whatever, um, and she's basically wearing that dress, and mm. it's beautiful. And, I mean, to be fair, it sounds like the dumbest thing, but the shot of her on fire, mm. you know, and it, it it's like just that sheer, it's almost like, subject subjective it's almost like it's not at that's not actually happening it's just like in that moment it, i don't know it sounds so dumb to say she's that hot but almost like that it's stoking that kind of passion in um fuck i can't remember the character's name marianne thank you um it's stoking that passion in her that she sees her like that almost it's yeah uh, uh, Love what you said about the cinematography earlier on as well, Jord, about the um, the kind of the the cool nights and uh, days and the warm nights. Yeah, man, I that hadn't even fucking occurred to me. But yeah, it's ah, oh, it's one of those ones I like it more for talking about it. No, it, it, it is it absolutely. It's like when you're talking about like we're talking about different ways of looking at stuff. It's like a huge part of this film is objectification, but it's but it's sort of you're reading into that and i love the scene where you've got marianne and heloise talking where she's trying to get um heloise to do her things but then heloise puts it back on her saying well you're seeing this but i'm seeing you i'm seeing like objectifying you as you're trying to put me on canvas and it's that's sort of like in a way that, that dichotomy of of what each other of them see um, and again, it's like, what, what did, what do you have in a portrait? What do you read of a portrait? Like within the first one, you can see that it was a job, and in the second one, you can see that she loves her. And that may sound very silly, but you can see the passion and desire in the second one, where in the first one's quite cold. Mm-hmm. What a lovely. What a lovely twenty minutes or so that was! What a treat. Um, do we do we have any more to anything more to say on Portrait of a Lady on Fire? No, it just I think yeah, I, I was I was I was very pleasantly surprised at, at how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, not just that it was a good film, how much I actually enjoyed watching it. it it's playful as well. Yeah. It's it's not it's not heavy going. No, it's not. It it, it it is entertaining you know their their chemistry they have is not just that unrequited love chemistry they, they have a there's a a camaraderie there as well mm. you know they play off each other really really well there's a um mm. there's a certain bit i can which bit it is that it's coming to you uh bex where um um adele adele is literally there's a an amount of facial acting that she's doing where she doesn't say anything for the entire that portion of the scene mm. but literally she's got this range of emotion just going through her face without ever any of them overblowing anything you get that she's got 
she's angry and then there's a little bit of panic and then there's a bit of sadness and you get all of that without ever it being too in your face or too over the top it's mm. a really i think her performance is incredible in this movie what the girl that plays halloween is yeah mm-hmm. but it, it makes me want to go check out more of um celine shama's work because i haven't actually seen the thing is about say back in the day when, when we were doing the mag i would have seen all this woman's work and now i I haven't. I think I've seen Girlhood, but um, Tomboy, I think one's Tomboy. in it. I haven't seen Tomboy, no. And something Lilies. I think Tiger Lilies or something like that. I want to try and hunt them out. Water Lilies. Water Lilies. Water Lilies. I haven't actually seen that, actually. Yeah, it's very good. I didn't, I didn't, realize, I didn't realize that was her, but yeah, I've seen that. It's very good. I've not seen I've not seen Girlhood yet, actually, but I have seen um, Tomboy and Water Lilies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to get to Girlhood. So yeah, but, but I, I enjoyed both of the, the, the films of hers I've seen. Um, I, I I have not seen any of the films, but I will. Um, I mean, like to be to be fair, it is a film which immediately got a is getting a Criterion release. Criterion are just like, yep, yeah, we're fucking putting that out. And <laughs> um, uh, Celine Sciamma also has a Girls on Top tee. Uh, which I think is probably fair enough. Um, definitely not shit. It 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 it's one of it's one of those just obviously definitely not shit films. Yeah. 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 No, I'm I'm definitely not shit on it, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to watching it again. Yeah. Yeah, I am as well actually. Yeah. yeah. Definitely not shit for me. Uh, definitely not shit for me. Uh, our audience poll: definitely not shit, eighty-three percent, and touching cloth, seventeen percent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, it, that that subplot with the maid, just like we like we said, I'm I'm sure there are reasons why it's there. It just I I would have just preferred to a bit to have just focused on them. But hey, um, okay. So I'm going to uh, go for a we now. Does anyone else want a break at this point, or do you guys want to talk Vivarium? We could do Vivarium. Yeah, I'll introduce Vivarium. George, you good to carry on? I am. Okay, I will leave you guys to it for a few. Cheers. You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day-glow sentimentality? To try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context? Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you will not find find that here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you will will not find find that here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you will will not find find that here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. In each documentary-style episode, I look at one area of 1980s popular culture and break it right down. And each episode features academic insight, guest contributions and interviews, as well as clips plumbed from the depths of the 1980s cultural void. Well, YouTube, mainly YouTube. To help illustrate the wonderful, perplexing, terrifying, joyous and utterly thrilling world of 1980s pop culture. Beyond the Neon might not be as regular as other 1980s podcasts, but that's because Beyond the Neon isn't like other 1980s podcasts. Subscribe to the 
the show today and check out all past episodes by visiting beyondtheneon.co.uk. Have you ever wondered what so-called family films will scar your kids forever? Putting four and five-year-olds in front of this movie, it's like, if they didn't know what death was before this, they're going to know it after it. They're going to know it after it, and they're going to be freaking terrified. And they're going to be questioning you. Yeah. Or do you have the slight suspicion that your loved one has a cold, dead heart? Yeah, The Dark Knight has got like, all the orphans, and like, oh no, we're going to die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, I was like, kill them. Then look no further, the His Film Her Movie podcast is the show for you. It's the movie podcast that celebrates the contrasting cinematic tastes of its hosts. So join Jordan and Lauren every week on their unique journey through the land of the silver screen. So if you're looking for a few laughs, some fun film-related chat, then get involved. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jenna. This is my boyfriend, Tom. Hey, it's uh, Gemma and Tom. Lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you too, Morton. Yonder is a wonderful development. Both tranquil and practical, it has all you'd need and all you'd want. And as for the prices, it's no wonder these houses are getting snapped up. <laughs> I know what you guys are thinking, suburbia. But there's more to yonder than what you see in these images. We've lovely people, all sorts of people ready to move in. It's going to be a diverse community, something different, a nice blend. Where's it located? Near enough and far enough, just the right distance. Okay, so Vivarium uh, is a 2009, 2020 movie, really. It did, it did the festival circuit last year, but I think it actually officially came out on VOD, um, I think, last week. Um, it's directed by Lockham Finnegan um, and stars Imogen Poots, Jesse Eisenberg, um, and Jonathan Aris uh, is in there as well. What is the story? Um, Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg are a couple. And they are looking to buy their first home. Uh, they go into a uh, estate agent where they're greeted by Martin, who is a slightly um, quirky character, shall we say, uh, who says that they should um, go and look at one of these yonder homes because they're the perfect starter homes, but no, perfect family homes. So they follow him out to the yonder development where all of the homes are essentially exactly the same. Mm. Um, Starts showing them round the house and then he disappears. They spend the entire night trying to exit the estate, but realise that they cannot leave. Uh, the next day, um, a box arrives with a baby in it. No, it's food the next day. That's food the, the next day, day. sorry. Then it's the baby the day after, which says uh, on the box, it says, raise this child and be released. The child, however, is quite clearly not a human child because it acts in incredibly odd ways and mimics. Um, Bex. Yeah. What did you think to Varian? 
I I really wanted to like Vivarium. I thought it, it's a really interesting concept, but from the heavy-handed fucking cuckoo imagery at the start of the film, all the rest of the way through, it just it just lets you down every step of the way. Like it it does not it it, it doesn't do enough with its premise to to be as interesting as it could have been. Like there's a few there's a few good little bits in it. That bit where they're both in bed and they both flip the kid the bird, that's hilarious. That it just it's so relatable. Yeah, we do that quite frequently with the bubble. Yeah. Um but yeah, and it, it doesn't doesn't tie itself up very well. As a story, it's like what so these these estate agent weird things put all this fucking effort into trapping a couple in this weird place for that amount of time. Just to what? Raise another estate agent to take over the shop? It is the weirdest indeed advert ever, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it is. Um, it, yeah, it would be an indeed advert, and then, like, the strapline thing would be some jobs you're just born to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kid was fucking annoying. All kids are annoying. That's true. Um, George, what did you think of Avarium? Um, to be honest, I'm actually seriously surprised this film even got made. Um, <laughs> and I know it's not an original thought, and people have been saying this since the trailer here, but it is a Black Mirror episode, and it's not yeah. a good one at that. Um, <laughs> but, it, yeah, Beck said that to me. It, it looks like TV. Um, it, it feels like TV. There's this fake aesthetic to it um, with the skies and with the, the generated houses that I understand the choice of having it like that, but it doesn't fit whatsoever. And like, fair play, it's got something to say um, and it's got an agenda, but it will not shut up about it. And I'm 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 all for a film wanting to have a point a point of view. I mean, we've just spoke about one that does it through subtlety, um, but this one is just screaming from the hilltops. Yes, modern life can seem homogenous, and we're being asked to exist in a certain way and live within restrictions that have seemingly been prejudged. Um, the whole 2.4 children stereotype, etc., etc. However, you've got to give me something more than that. You can't just give me that over and over and over and me to try and think that you're intelligent for bringing it up. Yes, have that to say to, to begin with, but you've got to build on that and you've got to try and maybe go by it by looking at it at a different angle. And I, I'm completely with you, Becky, regarding tying it up mm. I, I think um, the, the, the director who the director writer tapped away his final pages on his script and said oh yeah it's this guy's going to be that person it's going to be like a nice little circle which yes it is um, however there is a scene in this film where um, oh, I've got a name now Imogen Poots attacks it uh, the son with a pickaxe and something happens that was quite interesting yeah 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 and you're like oh this is this is where it's gonna it's, you're gonna get some kind of payoff here no nope. 
No. No. It does get interesting for a good 15 seconds there. <laughs> It does, and I mean... Oh, no, oh God, this sounds is. horrible. Sorry, this sounds it, fucking horrible. And, and I know, like, um, film bastards is spoilers um, all the time, but it's like, you've got a few little scenes after that where it's like, okay, I'm interested now. And if he just took that little jump to go a bit more on the horror spectrum, mm. I think I would have loved it. For example, if you built all of that up to like a really crazy last fifteen minutes, then it would have give you the the energy and the sort of momentum that you could leave that film thinking, "Oh Christ, that was actually worth it." Where this really doesn't, and not only does does it not, it it sort of stumbles, mm. and yeah, it's it's not great. I, I was actually amazed that this wasn't the director's first film because it stinks of like a a debut effort it stinks of like this is my first script it's kind of coherent and it makes itself feel like a film but it doesn't really feel like a good one and i'm a huge fan of jesse eisenberg however he is so miscast in this yeah it's painful to watch like for example like i was watching it and if you were to put somebody like Logan Marshall Green in that character and the way he sort of goes off and can get in certain films, get a bit paranoid, that would add so much to the film where Jesse Iceberg just isn't good at that that, that style of, of acting. Now, and it, that's, that's it. it it's it the, feels awkward. It does. It, it's... It, he... The problem is he he feels from literally moment one where you go, hang on a minute, Jesse Eisenberg is playing a gardener slash tree surgeon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, sorry, sorry, no. And then when you actually see Jesse Eisenberg trying to dig a hole and you're going, literally, <laughs> you can tell that the director, <laughs> like he said to the director, so, sorry, Larkin, um, it says here, uses a spade what's yes. a spade how am i gonna dig a hole with a playing card and they've gone shit and he's he, he, given him it and he's gone what do i do with this then he has no idea how to use that at all pings a tiny bit of land it, out it, it does time. but then it, even like you were saying their job with the whole the 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 fact that it's it's trying so hard to have this message you're watching this going right i'm it literally, for a start off, in the first day where he's digging that hole, you go, he was digging all day, and that is as far as he got. And <laughs> yeah, he yeah. does this for a living? Uh, it, 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 it's woeful. But the fact that you get to it, and as soon as he sees the body, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, really? Has he literally spent the entire time digging his own grave? Jesus fucking hell. There is... Maybe at a push, two interesting shots in this entire movie. The shot of the the weird overgrown child thing scurrying away and lifting up the fucking pavement. And you go, oh shit. And then you realise that oh shit was, you went too far with oh shit. You should have gone, oh this is shit. Um, (laughs) That and um, no, that's pretty much it. It is because, like, after that, I was like, okay, is this going to turn into some 
kind of weird alien invasion movie. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. no, that would have been quite interesting to, to go in that that sense. I mean, would it have been worth the, what an hour and ten minutes before it happens? Probably not. But yeah, just have that sort of a payoff where you need that because you've been through so much of the same the, the same voice throughout it and the same sort of pounding of yes modern life is like this and it's not good and we've got to change it but <sighs> Imogen Pooch has not had a good couple of months no she fucking hasn't after that abomination Black Christmas yeah it's like you say Jesse I think she's alright we cast and there's there's some good little interactions she's got where she's having to assume the role of being a mother without actually ever wanting to. Mm. But you still don't ever get any belief in it. No. You still don't. It's a, there's a weirdness, I think, that... Um, I don't know whether it's the fact that... Um, we used to watch movies that had um, parents in it. They, they appeared like parents. All the people looked like all the people. Now, you've got... You've got actors who are in like their um, like their late twenties, early thirties, and you look at them and you think, I mean, they look fourteen. <laughs> and I think that maybe it's just because I'm nearing forty that everything just looks weird to me. Um, but I don't know. They just they don't. It, it's badly cast. The story is paper thin. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even look that good. No. Like you say, it, no, it, no, it, it, it looks terrible. It looks like Channel 5 level TV it crap. It does, yeah. That scene where he climbs up on the ladder and looks out and sees all the rooftops should have been a bit of a gasp kind of moment. Mm. But it's so badly rendered that... Do you it reminded me of? what? The, uh, and this is might sail over everybody else's head. The town bit seemed a little bit like the computer game Paperboy, where everything yeah. just seemed the same, like it was just the same image, and then just what is it? But it had no, it, it didn't give you an idea. It always felt fake. Mm. There was well, no semblance. I think, of I think that's a choice, and I think it looking as bad as it does is a choice. Mm. That I don't think I don't think that's just. The, the special effects being bad. No. I think I think I think that they're, they're trying to say something with that, and I understand what they're trying to say. I just think it's told not correctly, um, and it's like it's just cheap, and not cheap looking, but it's just it's a cheap gag. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it is. It, it's a. It, it almost feels like it's trying to nod a little bit. I think at uh, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, in, in that way, I think there's a nod to that, but it, it's not a very clever or even an interesting nod. Mm. It's just not very good. No, it really isn't. No, I'm really I'm isn't. I'm shit on it. Yeah, same. I'm shit. And uh, any more to say on it? Shit. Shit. Yeah. Good. Uh, we did a poll on this. Uh, just find it. Uh, Definitely not shit, 17%. Touch and cough, 50%. And shit, 33%. Mm. Oh, uh, 
Brad did comment on the poll bit. Yeah, he saying, did. Um, saying, there aren't many films I found to be uh, nothing masquerading as something more than this try-hard, boring piece of shit. Second worst <laughs> film at LFF. Um, and he's... Uh, uh, and I, in a film called Makeup, he said was the worst. Um, but yeah, it, Brad, you are completely 100% right on that. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of glad I didn't watch it. You don't, uh, <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to rush to watch it or even bother watching it, I would say. Not fair enough. Um, now, George, I'm mindful that we have now done the films that you have seen you are welcome to go but you are also very welcome to stay no i'll, I'll stay good man good man fantastic you find out what well, trolls world tours like don't you jordan oh absolutely <laughs> well that's coming up next first things first these trolls need some serious cheering up and we're gonna have to go top shelf Ooh. Now, when you say top shelf, y- you don't mean... That's right. We need to sing them the most important songs in the history of music. Yes, but which ones? All of them. And when you say all of them... Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Yo, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Yo, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, ha, I wanna, ha, I wanna, ha, I wanna, ha, I wanna, 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 Trolls World Tour is directed by Walt Dawn and stars the vocal talents of Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake, uh, Ron Fuquez, um, James Corden, Keenan Thompson, Rachel Bloom, Ozzy Osbourne, others. Ellie Clarkson. Ellie Clarkson, Sam Rockwell. Crystal uh, Mid-Platz, Zooey Deschanel. In one scene right at the end yeah <laughs> Zoe Deschanel's first credit apart from New Girl since the first Trolls wow wow indeed so Trolls World Tour the Trolls are back Queen Poppy voiced by Anna Kendrick is very happy to be a troll because she is shocked to her core when her father reveals that these trolls are not the only trolls in the world, but instead there are trolls of various different musical genres. And when Queen Barb, or played by Rachel Bloom, the queen of rock, wants to go on a world tour to collect all of the world strings that will reunite the whole troll world under rock, uh, Poppy teams up with Branch, again voiced by Justin Timberlake, to defeat her? question mark so somehow we're reviewing trolls world tour i'm not entirely sure how it happened but i'm glad <laughs> becky trolls world tour were, were were you know were you were you transfixed i was not transfixed no um i i actually when when the trailers came out for this the cinema i was like I won't see it, but actually that's quite cool. Like if there's loads of different trolls and they've got different styles and they're all playing different music, that's actually quite quite a cool idea for kids. You know, yeah, it, for kids. You know, for kids. Um, it, you know, it should be quite good fun. It it's it's just not 
upon and the the kind of the messaging in it feels off as well um the whole like rock music is bad pop music is good and then it turns out pop music's bad because pop people are bad but then they all start singing a fucking pop song at the end it 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 just it all doesn't land very well and i know it's a kids film and we don't need to look that deeply into it because the children that it's aimed at will not be but it's clearly trying to have some kind of message can i, can I just say my daughter about three quarters of the way through the film shouted rock music ruins everything right <laughs> and meant it <laughs> um so yeah yeah not entirely sure what the fuck kids were supposed to t- even at the end she was a little bit like nah not having that no rock music bad oh. so yeah yeah my kids are fucking idiot though so you know <laughs> oh dear mark what oh, um, <laughs> for a start off, it, 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 it's visual diabetes. Yeah. It yeah, is. it is. It's. It made my teeth sting. It, I think the first one's actually more so, in all honesty. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's one of the ugliest films I've ever seen. Um. <laughs> uh, it's incredibly nasty. It is nasty. It's yeah. a it's a mean spirited movie. It literally is. It it feels like a movie where it was written by a kid or a group of kids who all know each other and all really liked sort of like early noughties um, J pop. Didn't like rock music, just like pop music, and used to get picked on because it wasn't real music. Um, and so decided that this was the way they were going to get back at those kids from school was by having this absolute abomination of cinema. <laughs> they also clearly got friend zoned a lot because there's a lot of friend zone. There's a signaling. lot of friend zone signaling there, which, um, yeah. <sighs> Oh, but then he gets the girl at the end. But he gets the girl at the end. So he gets he gets friend-zoned, spends half it being a whiny little bitch about it, <laughs> then tells her off, and then she realises the error of her ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a bit toxic. Which, which is a bit toxic masculinity, isn't which it? Which also, yeah. also happens in the first one, where Branch is trying to tell Poppy, you need to stay quiet because otherwise the Bergens will get us and Poppy's like nah we don't and it turns out Branch is right in that one as well yeah it is Branch is always right toxic masculinity you're right toxic masculinity I'm going to use a phrase that I hate myself and there's also a fair bit of mansplaining in it because it is all old men explaining stuff to people as well it's yeah it, it relies too much on essentially a collection of memes thrown together as well as its visual cues. James fucking Corden voices <laughs> literally the most cut-out generic gay character of all time. It's... He's called how, Biggie because he's fat. That's, that's really clever, that. Yeah. yeah. It, it's... 
Sam Rockwell was clearly doing it. He got baked and went, oh, that's after this. Like, yeah, he went, ah. Uh, well, you know, when I, I reckon he read the screenplay when he was very, very high. Yeah. And the revelation that he was a secret yodeler just blew <laughs> his mind so much that he just had to do it. I Jordan reckon he was just so angry that he didn't get to yodel in it. <laughs> probably, George, just for context, Sam Rockwell plays what appears to be like one of the country trolls but turns out to be a, a skillful a, a skillful assassin who is a yodler whose twin brother is hiding the entire time as his arse. Oh, you can, can I also <laughs> point something else out? At one point, a funk troll, right? I don't know he's a funk troll at that point. And there's a fair amount of, I would say, just... Borderline, what what people would call casual racism in this movie, where there's nothing casual about it. Just a bit racist, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, shits out a birthday cake. He literally shits it out. Ian, why does he shit out a birthday cake? I don't know, but I will say through the first one, I was wondering. He looks a bit different from the other ones. Why is he seemingly a different creature? And in this one, you got the answer. He's a funk troll. Yeah, he's a funk troll. Yeah. Who shits out a birthday cake. Someone else just pulls something out of themselves. It's as well that glittery point. man. That glittery man shits out a baby. The glittery man shits out a baby. Yep, keep, Guy Diamond shits out at the baby. Yes. Daddy. And the baby is called Tiny Diamond. Yep. And keeps calling his daddy, daddy. But not like in a daddy like that way. All, like a soul voice. Yeah, it, 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 it makes it sound a bit... It, it does. Yeah. It's Keenan it, it, from Keenan and Kel. Mm. What's that, Ian? It's Keenan from Keenan and Kel. Oh, no excuse for that, right? Really. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's not very good. No. I hated it, and I feel sorry for children. Yeah. <laughs> I would say something about what I feel sorry for, but Ian fits the demographic, so I'm not going to. <laughs> you feel sorry for people have to work to this, this, this win. I think for people that have had to pay fifteen ninety nine to watch this. The the first one is the thing is I've had to listen to parts of the first one in my car for about three four years. The first trolls holds quite a special place in my heart because it's the first film that Lottie ever watched in the cinema start to finish. Like, yeah. I mean, with toilet breaks, but she actually made it through the end of the film. Um, and then she had it, has it on her iPad, and she's watched the first one a lot. Mm. And I think it, honestly, it weirds me out, but it might be because she's getting older. But with this one, I, I do think it was kind of in one eye and out the other. It, it's, it's weird. The first one has got... A more, I think, a more coherent narrative. Um, it's more it, it, the visual diabetes of this one. It's kind of more so in the first one, but it's more creative. Like the first one has got, you know, the kind of like almost like the kind of the storybook sequences at the start and end of this, where it's kind of like felt and shit. Yeah. 
yeah there's a lot more of that one of that in the first one right. and th- 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 like there's kind of interesting creatures in the first one and the the music that's sung in the first one is more interesting like the sound of silence is used in the first one and it's quite funny um this one it it was just like yeah that happened and that was bit was a bit real what why are they doing that and that bit yeah what really and then like you say yes okay rock music is okay at the end but they're just gonna smush it all into this really fucking forgettable bland bollocks at the end whereas the first one the end like the kind of climactic song was can't stop the feeling which slaps that that's yeah that i'll admit the cats at the feeling song is a good song it's a great pop song it is but i i a lot of the songs in this film were actually were just cover things i wouldn't actually be able to tell you a single song that's in it other than the fact that they do their we need to break out the classics and then break out some of the worst atrocities to music again how did who let the dogs out get through the questionable materials Mm. yeah yeah i was half thinking oh great we've got who let the dogs out what's gonna be next how are we going to get Robin Thicke? It was fucking Gangnam style. Yeah, it? yeah. Awful. It was, that it, was bad. I mean, the, the first one, you, you've got Can't Stop the Feeling, and there's this really good Anna Kendrick solo one, which I think is written by the guys who wrote the songs for La La Land and The Greatest Showman, um, called uh, Get. it's called Get Back Up Again. Very, very catchy song, and actually in the context of the film, it's basically about Anna Kendrick saying, I'm going to go out there on my own, even though everything out there wants to eat me. And it's, you know, it, it, it makes it, it's funny and it makes sense and it's poppy and it's like like the character. And it's fun. This one, I don't know. It just. It, it just felt like it was full of stuff. There's stuff happening all over the place. Um, but you know, hey, Universal are saying it's the biggest digital release ever. Unsurprising because it cost fifteen ninety nine, and parents are fucking desperate to show their kids anything that will give them an hour and a half's peace. Um, but now I have to explain to Lottie why rock music is not evil. So, you know, great. I'm not surprised you guys hated it. I'm fucking stunned that you watched it. <laughs> Um, I watched it because when the poll came out that said we were that, that said people didn't want us to review it, you seemed so, you seemed disappointed. so disappointed that I was like, well, we've got to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> Honest talk now. Cough once for yes, twice for no. Did you pay for Trolls World Tour? <coughs> okay, sweet. I'm very, very glad um, that you paid for it, obviously, because <clears throat> you coughed once. Yeah. Um. What was the poll? Night coughs. I like that. What was the poll? <laughs> uh, the poll was. Um, oh shit. Where is it? Reading's hard, isn't it? Reading. Reading. Oh. Did I even do one for this? I'm sure I did. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely not shit. Forty percent. Wow. Touching cloth. Twenty percent. And shit. Forty percent. 
I I think it's just because I, I think it's a little bit of bias just because trolls like kind of gives me happy thoughts subconsciously. I think I'm touching cloth, but I 100% understand why people would say it's shit. It is shit. It is shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. It is time for actually. Well, do we have any what we uh, what else we watch to talk about? Uh, anybody? I've got one. I, I, I have a few. Have you got, oh, you've got a couple? Films. What films? What yeah. have we been watching? George, do you want to do yours because you haven't spoken for a while? Yeah, go on, dude. We're missing cool. you, Jordan. <sighs> well, um, I've I've watched quite a few actually. On Sunday, I watched like two films before like 9 a.m. because I just got up early. And very much, I'm just going to be like boxed up. Um, I watched Clue. Oh, I love me a bit of Clue. 1985's Clue, and I'd, I'd never seen it before. I just thought I remember, I remember reading um, or listening to an interview with um, Ryan Johnson regarding Knives Out, and he spoke about a few films that influenced. Knives Out, and one of them was Clue, and I was like, well, do you know what? I'll give it a, re- I'll give it a watching. It's a hell of a fun movie. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think it's great, but it's got some signs of greatness in there. I mean, Tim... Oh, Christ. Tim Curry in it is wonderful. Christopher Lloyd's great. It's got some really nice supporting characters. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's there just to deliver... A nice slice of sort of your 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 who done it, and I mean obviously based on a board game, but yeah, I like Clue a lot. Um, the other thing that I'll talk about, I rewatched Detect- Detective Pikachu because it came on Sky. And <laughs> yeah. that, that film, we, we rewatched that as well. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's still it's still an okay movie, man. Yeah. Um, but the other but the other thing I want to talk about, well, there's two things. One is a film from 2018 called Blue Iguana. Now, Wait, 2018 this, or 2008? Are you talking about the 2008. dancing at the Luguana? No, no, Blue Iguana. It, so this is a, a British production directed by um, a guy called Hadi Hijig, I think. But in, in, in its cast, you've got Sam Rockwell, you've got Ben Schwartz, oh, we've um, seen Amanda Donahoe, Al Weaver. And it's this... Brit gangster film, but you've got Sam Rockwell and Ben Schwartz as these two American hitmen that, that that get wrapped up within this this British crime. And all I can say is, I it is one of the most derivative, seriously bad films <laughs> that I've seen in a very long time. Like I have no idea how they got Sam Rockwell to be part of this I think that was production. what we said about halfway through it, wasn't it? Because yeah. there's, there's, there's some scenes where he's delivering dialogue and you can see the boredom in his eyes. Yeah. And it, it consists of one of the most stupid, terribly choreographed, shot um, shootouts in history. Um, it's trying to be funny. It's trying to be Guy Ritchie. It's trying to be so many different things and doesn't succeed on any of them. It is, at times, unwatchable tripe. What's it 
called again? Blue Iguana. Yeah. Blue Iguana. Uh, right. It, wow. Yeah, it is awful, awful filmmaking. Um, and the only other thing that I've been watching, I said me and Lauren's been watching sort of back to back, and if it's if it's a no, then fine. But am I okay to sully your airwaves with the talk of TV? What's the show? <laughs> so. I used to be a fan of a film TV show called The Good The Good Wife. Um Juliana Margulies sort of You're gonna talk about so. the good fight, aren't you, George? I wanna talk about the good fight. Fuck's sake, yes. go on. So the good fight is a spin off from The Good Wife that carries on over a few characters but but not a lot. But what you don't expect, especially of a spin off of a show that ran for seven, eight seasons is for the spin-off to be better than the original TV show. This show is not only it's a good legal drama, but it's doing some really surprising stuff. Like, for example, in the second season, for a good few episodes, the major plot point is Trump's golden shower tape. They, they, They come into holding this golden shower tape and when people are watching it, they're watching it on a laptop, and it's. Do you know? Remember how the um, briefcase in Pulp Fiction just shines gold? That's how they're watching the, this, this P tape. And the, the current season is. I mean, to be honest, one, of the, one thing is, it is straight up, eyes down the barrel, taking on Trump and his presidency. It is very critical but critical in a very intelligent way like for example you've got um michael sheen is one of the characters in the third season which we've just started i know the for the fourth season just started um in america but his performance is like he's hearkening early 90s pacino but after doing 12 lines of coke he is so wonderfully over the top that you cannot take your eyes off him. He's got this crazy New York sort of accent. Um, and just, it doesn't care about doing weird stuff. Like there's a, there's a scene where Michael Shannon's singing, I'll be there on a green screen whilst like floating above um, the, the, what, 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 what's the faces on the mountain called? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. And, it's just crazy. It's so crazy. But honestly, the more the most entertaining TV show I've watched in many a year. It is constantly surprising and just written to an inch of its life. And I, I can't wait to see the new season. But honestly, if anybody's watched The Good Wife or likes a good legal show, The Good Fight, the first three seasons on Amazon Prime, get them watched because you will not be disappointed. It's so, so good. I no, (laughs) but bless you, George. I appreciate your enthusiasm, like always. Uh, Mark Bex, uh, what have you guys been watching? What are you watching, Bex? Oh, am I going first? You can go first, yeah. Um, okay, so on my own, yeah, I have watched, um, I watched Clueless on my own, yeah, because it's clueless, because it's clueless, um. 
and yeah there's nothing really extra to say about Quillipid I'm sure it's been talked about many times it's a lot of fun Touch dated in some other language now, but um, but it's a period piece. But yeah, it was it was made as a period piece. Yeah, um, and the the other one again, not an awful lot to to discuss about it because we've discussed it at length. Um, I rewatched Insidious. Yeah, why? Because I fucking love Insidious. I know. What? Yeah, Insidious is great. It's great, but Bex, you could literally watch that every week, couldn't you? I could happily watch that every yes. week. Yeah, and then like the sequels as well. <laughs> And that would take up most of my week. God bless you. Uh, I'll do mine that I watched on my own. Go on. Um, I watched the first two best of the best movies. Um, I say that because there's four of them. I'm halfway through the third one. It's very different. Yeah. So, give the what is it? The first one. Uh, has anyone else here seen any of the best of the best movies? No. Just me then. Um, <laughs> so the first one um, is centered around a um, a taekwondo and karate competition where it's an invitational and it's an exhibition thing uh, where South Korea uh, invite the US to have a karate slash taekwondo team uh, go to the US and challenge them. Uh, and the story is about the the American team and how they prepare to go against a much more formidable opponent and bits like that. It's got Eric Roberts in it. He plays one of them. Is he a baddie? Uh, he's not a baddie, no. Oh. He's a goodie, a very goodie. Um, but then there's underlying things as the uh, Dehan, who is like the essentially the captain of the Korean team, it turns out has um, killed, uh, in, in a previous competition, has killed... Tommy, played by uh, Philip Ray, who actually wrote the movie with his brother, um, who is called, what's he called? Somebody else, Ray. Um, and he plays Deham. Um, but the, the whole film is literally just about this this, this karate competition. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people have growth and stuff like that, and like that, but it's about a karate competition. Right? Chris Penn's also in it. Nice. Right? Best of the best two, for no reason whatsoever, I will go through the plot. So, best of the best, it's enjoyable if you enjoy martial arts, things and stuff like that, but it it has a story that is grounded in reality. Okay. Best of the best two. So, Eric Roberts and Philip Lee, um, Philip Ray, sorry, and um, Chris Penn have moved to Las Vegas, of course, Mm -hmm. and opened their own karate studio. Fair enough, right? Except Chris Penn's character, Travis, is also taking part in a underground um, fighting competition held inside a Las Vegas casino called the Coliseum with a big German dude called Baracus who runs the competition, who owns the casino and owns the Coliseum competition and has never been defeated He's never even bled. Wow. Right? Like that kid. Like that kid. Like, right there. Um, and then <laughs> Chris Penn gets killed in like the first 10 minutes. Because Baracus killed him. Baracus kills him in a fight, yeah. yeah. Um, Eric Roberts' son witnesses this, goes back and tells Eric Roberts. They go and confront Baracus. Philip Lee, in confronting them, pushes him into a mirror and cuts his face. They then go on the run 
and for some reason, all of a sudden, um, Philip Ray becomes a Native American, despite the fact that he wasn't. He was supposed to be Korean in the first movie. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, for another reason, Sonny Ladham arrives for no reason. He play, he's in he's the guy uh, from Predator. Oh, okay. Yeah. He arrives in it uh, and tries to have a drunk fight with them. Turns out he became a drunk because he'd got run over by Baracus. Oh, and God. he's the only person who knows how to defeat Baracus. Wow. Yeah. It, Is it to run him over? Bat shit. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's mental. It's like they took the first one and went, we're going to make a sequel to this movie. And then they went, do you know what? This movie didn't make any money. We don't need to make a sequel. Fuck you, we're making a sequel. And then made the most batshit sequel. I am halfway through the third one, which is written and directed by Philip Ray. That's even fucking weirder. Oh, excellent. Yeah, he's taking on neo-Nazis in that. Oh, okay. For no reason. And Gina Gershon's in it, and she isn't playing an evil character, which is freaking me the fuck out. Uh, so, yeah, so I watched the first two best of the best movies. Very enjoyable for different reasons. Bex, what do we watch together? Wow. <laughs> uh, we watched The Incredible Hulk. Yep. Um, which I know I've seen, know I had seen, but didn't really remember. Yeah. Um, it's a lot better than I remembered it being. It, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't, mm. it feels like a film completely separate from the rest of the Marvel universe. Yes. It, it doesn't fit with that whole vibe there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's, there's some dialogue in that film that I genuinely feel embarrassed that Ed Norton's doing <laughs> it yeah it's you can almost tell that Ed Norton about halfway through gets bored of it whole fucking thing just going off made a terrible mistake yeah, yeah. The, the, the one interesting fact of the movie one interesting part of the movie is um, Tim Roth's performance as Abomination mm. That's interesting because he plays it almost like a a soldier at the a fighting machine at the end of its time of his time, mm. and he finds this fucking drug that that gives him everything he wants, and he be- essentially he becomes hooked on it. Yeah, that's interesting. Sadly, that's about six minutes of a film that is two and a bit hours long. It's not terrible. I remember it being like really embarrassing. I think you're remembering Hulk. Terrible. The Ang Lee one. That's shit. Yeah. Uh, so we also uh, watched uh, Iron Man 2. We did? Yep. Mark's favourite Marvel movie. It's not my favourite Marvel movie, but it is definitely up there. <laughs> See, this might be the one where I remembered him being super obnoxious. He is super obnoxious in this. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely think Iron Man 2 is in my top five Marvel movies. Might be my top three. Yeah? Yep. I think it's brilliant. It is good. It I, is I don't brilliant. know. I, I, I do not understand the hate for it. I, no, I really enjoyed it. I love the, I love the, 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 the whole like Don Cheadle thing. That amuses the fuck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's great, and I, I, I think that going back and watching it, having seen the conclusion of, of everything that's gone on, yeah, you get a greater appreciation of it because Definitely, quite literally, yeah. without the growth that he has in Iron Man Two, mm. you don't get. The payoff of him at the end of Endgame because he needs that. Mm. It is, it's good going back and watching them because you can see them 
laying building blocks as early as Iron Man. Yeah, this, I actually think that this is the first proper MCU movie. Well, Iron Man was a test, wasn't it, yeah. really? And then but all... even in that, there's stuff that follows through. But this is, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on in this movie. I, I, mm. I really didn't really enjoyed it on rewatch, and I enjoyed it to start off with anyway. We've hit a bit of a, a bump, haven't we, with our, our Marvel Yeah, next one's Thor, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> You're going to have to. I know, I don't want to. Um, we also rewatched Lucky Number Slevin, which I've been badgering Mark to rewatch for ages, and he finally suggested it himself the other night. So that was very exciting, wasn't it? I'm a big oh, fan of that film. It's good, isn't it? It's really clever. It is. It, it, it's. We, we both sort of said it to each other um, midway through the movie. It's like it's a real shame that we don't have Josh Hartnett anymore. What? What's where mm. is he? He's just he's he's just living his best life, married to. Um, Times Edgerton, um, and just pooting around London, really. I, I, I don't approve. You need to make more film. Well, then go to London and tell him. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun, entertaining... I like clever, twisting films. Yeah. And it's, it's got that inspired. So. Yeah. Really enjoyed to watch that. It's on Prime, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, what's your, what have you been watching? Um, only go on, I got this week. Um... I bought a steel book for the first time in I don't know how long. And uh, it's uh, for Knives Out, which... Nice looking steel book, to be fair, isn't it? Is just... You know, you go on Zavi and they've got all these steel books and whatnot, and it's just like... Is it 4K, that, or is it...? Yeah, it's, it's, the four, it's got the Blu-ray in it as well, but it's the, it's the 4K and the Blu-ray. Um, did uh, George Mark? Did either of you take that code? Uh, I I tried using it, but it didn't work. Oh, for iTunes was it? All right, it must be Google only then. Um, but yeah, so Knives Out, the Steelbook fucking rules. It just it looks like uh like one of um like Harlan Fromby's books. It's it's brilliant. Um. Watched it with Donna because she hadn't seen it previous, and um, she hadn't really heard of it either. Um, like she listens to me talk about films, but I'm never too sure how much like she's really paying attention because I talk about them a lot. It's no criticism of Donna in the slightest. I, you know, I think of poor fucking anyone. Um, but yeah, I so I showed her the trailer. She was like, "Yeah, that was really interesting," and. We planned like we stuck it on at like ten o'clock on Sunday night, and unlike Mark and Becky, we're not we're not particularly late birds. And we watched it through to the end, and Don was just like, "Never thought I was going to finish that, but I just wanted to see what the fuck was going to happen." Hmm. And it it is one of those, but the beauty of it as well is when you know, like how it it weaves its web. There is literally one thing where I go, really? So slight spoilers for Knives Out. So if if you haven't seen it yet, just maybe fast forward a minute or two. But when it, it's like towards the end and they've said, um, oh, yeah, the um, the housekeeper is alive and, you know, she's going to like think like she's going to point the finger at you, Chris Evans. And then uh, Anna de Armas answers the, the phone and it's the hospital. Obviously, she's being told that the housekeeper died, 
But she says, oh, doctor, that's great news. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there soon. I really want a deleted scene where it cuts to that doctor saying. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like that is the one thing. And to be fair, there's two commentary tracks on it. I bet they address it on one of those tracks. I bet they do. And there's going to be a reason for it. Um, You know, it's like subtle things. It's where she has to pretend to be him to, like, come down for, like, a glass of milk. And then one of the family say, no, you fuck off upstairs so that they can say they saw him. And when you see her in the background in that shot, it's so obviously not Christopher Plummer. It's brilliant. Is it Yes. Very good. Um, it's just, it's entertaining the entire way through. Um, like, the relationships between the characters are fantastic. And the way that the whole through line of that film is, if you, you know, if you have a good heart, you will win. Such a lovely moral. Such a lovely moral. Um I'm really looking forward to whatever the next in invention uh, adventures of Detective Blanc will be. Um, I hope that he is the second character as opposed to the first in whatever they they do next. I think that's key. Um, but yeah, Knives Out. It's I may like it more second time round, and if I remember correctly, it was like number ninety-seven or so in my top one hundred of the decade. It's yeah, a great, I, it's a fucking great film. Yeah, I remember, I remember like it in the cinema, and then we, me and Lauren, we watch it at home, and it's, it's just so smart, and it was just so so smart, and like the way it slyly put stuff in there. Like, I don't want to spoil it, but certain things people say, um, stuff, if you look just in the background, how things work out, then there's actually clues pasted everywhere to who this person is. And it, it, it really is quite exquisite. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, mean, I think um, when we reviewed it originally, I think we all kind of said... It's one of those where it's either going to get a lot better on a rewatch or it might start to fall apart a little bit. And both you and uh, yourself, Ian, and you, John, are both saying that for both of you, it got that bit better on a rewatch. It's just, it's fun. Even with, like, everything that isn't the mystery is just really watchable. So it's not one of those films where it's like, once you know what what happened, it, it kind of ebbs off. The rest of it is so high quality that it, it just it works. Um, yeah, I it, it's it's a fantastic film, and I just love that it is Ryan Johnson blowing off steam. Like, just go off on a slight tangent. Extras, like really, really, really good extras, are becoming hard to come by because physical media is going down and blah blah blah. There's like an over hour long making of, which is on the iTunes extras as well, in fairness, um, on this, which is great. Um, 
And Johnson is talking about, you know, he came off The Last Jedi. It was four years on one film with this. It was basically he set himself a task of having the film done by late October, like filmed so that his Christmas present to himself would essentially be a completed film. <laughs> and like that, he basically from like writing to finishing shooting, it was about a year, which is very, very like escalated timescale. And the, the extras kind of like all, sing the praises, but not, not like in like, obviously so of his longtime producing partner, Ram Bergman, who, you know, produced the last jedi for fuck's sake and he's he's all over the dock on that as well really good documentary on the last jedi extras as well by the mm. way um and how he had to like move move the casting so fast but it was really interesting because they could basically say right we're going to film in three weeks do you fancy doing it and they could basically get the actors who were in between projects they could get because it was only three weeks away. They could shoot for a month or so and then be done. Whereas if you said, we're going to shoot six months from now, you'd have actors going, well, something Marvel might come up in that time. So I'm going to say no right now, you know, and it's just that kind of, that kind of talk. You don't really get anywhere anymore, but I thought that was really interesting. It was like, Chris Evans, it, it's like if he had anything Marvel in that time, it would have been a no. But if it was like literally we start shooting in three weeks, you'll be done in seven. Could he just be like, yeah, all right, fuck it, it sounds like fun. You know, um, they, they talk about how they got Daniel Craig on board and then it just the financing just opened up because it was like, right, here's a film. They couldn't sell it on the director uh, the, the, who is directing the next at that point star wars film it was hey we got daniel craig yeah it's just it's interesting shit like that you don't get in other places so i it, it it's lovely it, it's like fuck it is what i imagine fucking a mistress was if that mistress had like a disc hole it's uh <laughs> you know what 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 a treat what a treat it, you know um yeah yeah so knives out great steel book lovely extras think of it as cheating if you want like because some i don't know somehow it's become a bit more like a fetish talk i don't know why abort abort knives out it's great yeah that got really weird uh sorry um so moving on to the itunes 99p rental of the week from the crime scene match yours you have to believe me i did not do what they said i did oh no Mark Roberts. I 
daring escape, a cross-country manhunt. No one had seen anything like it. I have. every house, hospital, hotel, back road, and backwater for Mr. Mark J. Roberts. For Sam Girard and his team of U.S. Marshals. You ever make a fugitive arrest before? Yeah, but not about you. Nothing is what it seems. I gotta find out who the hell Mark Roberts really is. Ex-U.S. Marine Special Forces, ex-CIA Black Ops. All right, heads up. No one can be trusted. I got set up from the word go. This is a ruthless killer who committed murder in cold blood. Because this time... The fugitive they're chasing. Give me a hand. I'd like to listen to you explain why your ruthless assassin keeps going out of his way to let people live. Is a government spy who knows too much. You're the great Sam Gerard. Yes, I am. And you always have to win. Yes, I do. Get out from here and face me! Kids! Gonna have to shoot me! Hold it! Can't be caught! Turn around! She's armed. He's dangerous. What do you intend to do? Catch him. Talk about fetish. Here's Tommy Lee Jones in a fucking chicken suit. Hubba hubba. Fucking love that. I know you do. U.S. Marshals is directed by Stuart Baird and starts stars. It does. Well, it starts. Who does it start? I'm trying to think now. Who does it start? It's not Wesley Snipes. No. It is Wesley Snipes. Yeah. But it doesn't. Does it start Wesley Snipes? I'm going to start. Uh, by the way, chaps, I think I'm going to go. Um, I'm up early in the morning for work. All right, George, we love you. Thank you so much Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for joining us, George. It's film, film, her I'll movie. Woo! See you later. Bye. Um, so, thank you very much to George. US Marshals, I can't remember who it starts, but it doesn't start Tommy Lee Jones because he starts in the film in a chicken suit about five, ten minutes in. I think it starts with the like mysterious, oh shit, what's going down here? Someone's been shot by who? Who knows? Stuff. Yes, it does. Um, so stars Tommy Lee Jones, Wesley Snipes, Robert Downey Jr., Joe Pantoliano. I stopped looking at the credits at the end as soon as I realised that Joey Pants was fourth build in this film, and I was very happy about it. Yeah. Uh, so U.S. Marshals is the spin-off to The Fugitive. I don't think you can really call it a sequel. Where um, Sam Gerard is back. Everyone loves calling him Sam. Sam, 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 Sam. I don't know how many times Sam was said, but if you play the drinking game involving that, you would die. Um, he's back, and this time he is hunting Wesley Snipes's mysterious man who is a like a like forklift. No, not a forklift driver. He's like a pickup truck driver who gets caught with a gun, and then it turns out that his fingerprints were actually at the scene of a crime. A double uh, murder in New York. Yes. Um, there's an airplane crash. 
which did get me to thinking when they were talking when they had the gun and then the fingerprint to the episode of the simpsons where um it's the softball team and you've got mike search there it's like oh i'm from new york are you oh there's a lot of murder that didn't solve down there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you don't know when to quit the saxy boy <laughs> Yeah, it can't, can't be just like a murder there. It's got to be dirty old New York. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so uh, Tommy Lee Jones just so happens to be on the same plane as Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes uh, nearly gets killed by a mysterious man and the airplane crashes. Wesley Snipes goes on the run, run and Tommy Lee Jones has to chase after him. And then Robert Downey Jr. comes in 35 minutes in as a not at all shifty agent who seemingly is going to follow in Tommy Lee Jones's footsteps, but nah. U.S. Marshals, I've seen, so I've only seen The Fugitive once, and I believe it was for Playing It Forward, if I remember correctly. I believe The Fugitive was actually the movie that got Playing It Forward started. It may well have been, actually. I- Bought it to you when we were in Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. Um, seeing John Carpenter the first time, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I said to you, you hadn't seen it, and I said, right, I need to buy it for you right now. <laughs> and yet, this is the third time that I've seen U.S. Marshals. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know why. Um. So Bex. U.S. Marshals, I kind of feel like this is in your wheelhouse. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed Fugitive. Um, I think I'm there with you. I am there as well with you in that one. It's it's fun. It's, again, twisty. This is like a little little mystery to solve. Yeah. Um, I like everyone in it. Um, so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And it's it's less serious than Fugitive. Fugitive feels like a important film, like it's viewed as an important film, whereas U.S. Marshals just feels a bit more like it's having some fun. I think it's a more fun character. Tom Gerard's a more fun character yeah. than Richard Kimball. Um, there, and there's there's some sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. No, no, it's fine. Go for it. Um, you you've got from the start. I think you know. I'm, I'm gonna keep on going about the chicken suit, but from the start you've got. He's in a chicken suit. There's no reason for him to be in that chicken suit. He's on the cover, man. But you didn't need to be a chicken suit. But it's just like you go, all right, fair enough. You you know you can strap yourself in because you're in for a good ride. Joey Pants. Joey Pants should have been addressed as the Hamburglar. The the thing is there. (laughs) Joey Pants would have loved that. But having Joey Pants in anything is always wonderful. Yeah. Um, But it was just... You get to watch Tommy Lee Jones. It is such an interesting actor because he's often seen as this craggy, miserable guy. But then he, he's had a lot of roles where he gets to be a bit crazy. He sincerely says both dude and yo in this film. And I love it. Yeah. And you, you, but he is he's he is very charismatic in it. You know, the bit where he walks in and having a drink and he, he's on the TV screen, he walks in and goes, hey, that ain't me, that guy's not, not handsome. Uh, and there's bits like that. Yeah. And, you know, he's, don't you say, he genuinely looks fucking smooth as fuck yeah. in it. Um, 
the action's really good. Um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is playing the fucking dodgiest of dodgy fucking characters. But it's just a... It's a well-made action thriller. Mm. Yeah. That were the nineties were were really fucking were churning these out at a really good rate. Um and especially from between kind of like ninety three when uh, the fugitive came out mm. up to up to around kind of ninety nine. So you, you're talking about ninety three you're talking about post Batman yeah. where CG was starting to be used in conjunction with practical effects. So green screening have become a big thing. And I remember when The Fugitive came out, the, the train scene where he jumps off that, I remember that being like a big fucking deal and they had like featurettes on that particular scene on like movies, games and videos and on um, BBC's film programme by Norman. And I remember watching those. And then it was, you've got sort of like, like say between kind of like, the, the Batman movies, and mainly Batman Returns more than the, the, the Batman. It's like 91, 92. Up until 99, you've got like a seven, eight-year period there where CG was mostly being used in action films and in R-rated movies. Um, not R-rated sexy movies. But, um, no, that'd be X-rated movies. Um, but it was being used to do things like the big plane crash in this and bits like that. And it was only sort of post-Matrix where it started to get overused because mm-hmm. it became more accessible that it, you started getting things like the Scorpion King and shit like that. Uh, but here it's still used really well. It, it's used as a, a tool yeah. rather than a selling point. Mm. Yeah, well, in good CG, you shouldn't be able to tell. Well, no. But then at the same time, you had things like True Lies was coming out and all these things were coming out. Mm. It was a really boom time for this type of movie. Yeah. And it's almost like there, there's been a period where it was forgotten and people went, oh, no, people don't want to watch those anymore. And it's like, oh, don't they? Try fucking making some and see if people want to watch them. And clearly they do. Sorry. It's a bit I, Tony Scott, yeah, actually. It is a bit Tony Scott, yeah. Except it's not quite as good as Tony Scott. No, but um, Ian, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I, 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 I I love the fact that Gerard is quite playful. Um, you know, he's you don't get that much exploration of his character, but at least you get the other guys around him, and it works enough that when Joey Pants is giving the whole kind of um, if you do this, you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for the team. It's all for you. You 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 know you. You you taught me everything, the code, the regulation, blah, blah, blah. You're breaking this all. And yeah, you get that. You get that he was fond of the kid. And when the kid died, he like went went a bit mad about it. I mean, that scene where he ba- almost drowns Wesley Snipes in that fucking like grain pit. You get that. Um, that's quite that's quite well done. Um, the fact, it, yeah, the fact that he, he, he clearly catches himself. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's I will say it's a shame that Wesley Snipes' character, you know, he's he's a good guy, and you get there's a conspiracy and all that kind of stuff, and you know, Tommy Lee Jones turns out to be smarter than Robert Downey Jr. But it's a shame that he. There's a number of scenes where Wesley Snipes gets away and it makes Tommy Lee Jones look 
worse that his job than he kind of should do. You know, it, it's like it, it's difficult that you've got two heroes in this film who ostensibly are antagonist and protagonist. And it like squaring that circle is quite difficult. It makes Wesley Snipes look like the kind of like the genius and Tommy Lee Jones slightly look like the fool there. But what I will say there is whenever that happens, whenever um, Wesley Snipes gets the better of it, it's because of influences that um, that um, Tommy Lee Jones isn't aware of. So at that point, he isn't aware that what City's working against him. Mm. And it's always those little bits that happen. Like, he, he would have got uh, Wesley Snipes had the kid not got shot. Mm. Yeah. No. So, so there is there is that as well. I, I, I completely get you, what you're saying, and it, that, it does make sense with the film. But it kind of, like, it almost... That's why... It, that's why he gets so angry is because he's, he's 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 seeing it as the reason why the kid got shot is because I didn't get this guy and I didn't get the better of him and it's he's not used to it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know. It's just I kind of this character. I kind of just want him to be good at the things that he does. And I suppose that would make for a boring film, but yeah, I don't know. It's like have it be on the case of like a really, really hard to track down person, expand his team's role. I mean, to be fair, Joey Pants and the kid, you know who they are. The rest of them, not so much. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, Joey Pants has a good bit of business with Robert Downey Jr. in that car with Robert Downey Jr. is like, could you put that cigarette out? And Joey Pants is like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's fucking great. Um, yeah, I, it, it's, but it, it, like you said, like Beck said, like, it's fun. It's lighthearted. Like you said, Mark, the action sequences are well done. It's two hours, 10 minutes, but it, it kind of flies, you know, it's, it, it doesn't like it now that kind of feels like a fucking dragging its heels kind of length, but it's not, I say that as this podcast is two hours, 12 minutes now. Um, but no, I mean, it, it works. It's a good time. It is a decent Monday, Tuesday watch. Um, snipes, not super memorable. I don't think, um, you know, I mean, like it, the casting of, of him at the time. I mean, looking back at it now, it's a weirdly stacked central trio. But Downey Jr. was obviously in a slightly it, it, wilderness phase. Yeah, Downey Jr. Was, was, yeah, it looks that way now. But they got Downey Jr. because um, he was, well, it, it, he was in the midst of being in and out of jail. Yeah. Uh, and um, the reason why they got why Snipes did it is because he'd had obviously he had a really big early nineties, but then um, you know the fan had done had, had done decent money. Uh, so the fan sorry had, um, had cost a lot, but had made nothing. Uh, despite that, it's a really good. Uh, movie yeah. and then he tried his hand at kind of like more serious acting with murder at 1600 and then especially one night stand um which is actually a really good movie um but neither of them made any fucking money 
you know, and it, he'd he'd had like three or four years without a hit, mm. um, and hadn't really made a, a full blown action movie in that time. So it was it was the start of the the Wesley Snipes decline that that was kind of like was hidden a little bit because of Blade. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, though, seeing this as a spin-off from Tommy Lee Jones winning an Oscar. Did he he won for Best Supporting? He didn't win, he got nominated, but he didn't win. Sorry, forgive me. All right, but the fact that he... Apologies. The fact that he got nominated for The Fugitive, and then it's this... Yeah, the thing is, that, the weird thing is, I would never happen now. Fuck you, I was I'm sorry. That he'd won for uh, for that as well, uh, and I but I checked and was like, oh, he didn't. I, I thought he had, but yeah, he probably hadn't. No, I mean that, that that, but that's it. It's like, could you imagine now the person who won best supporting actor in an original block in an original blockbuster gets a fucking spin off, which is again a good like solidly budgeted film. It just it wouldn't happen now. It's one of these things where if a character is going to get a spin-off, it's going to be a fucking TV series. It's going to be a limited series on Disney plus. It's not going to be a film that also weirdly stars Wesley Snipes, Robert Downey Jr. And Joey pants. (laughs) You know, U S Marshals is a relic of a better age. Um, you know, where people could be within two metres of each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, Joey Pants can be pissed off about the fact that he's had to leave his Armani suit somewhere else and is annoyed that he can't claim expenses on a track suit he bought Rob, uh, the fucking Tommy Lee Jones. I love the fact that, that he gets that track suit and he's like, I'm not wearing that. And then later on, he has to wear it. Yeah. <laughs> he it, it, sat there, miserable, wearing it. <laughs> and and the last moment of the film is Joey Pants saying, you still owe me $87. And Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones saying, you're going to have to fill in the red form. You're going to have to fill in the yellow form. And then there's this weirdly heroic, like low swooping shot of the van they've just got into. And then the credits roll. The thing is there, you like you, you watch it going, do you know what? I'm only upset now that there wasn't more adventures of that crew. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I would have watched another two or three movies of Tommy Lee Jones as that character. I just, and the, 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 yeah. the thing is, the title of the film as well is such a fucking TV show title. U.S. Marshals. What fucking film now would be called U.S. Marshals? It would would have John Butler in it. New Jersey Fire Department. I just... Yeah, 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 Gerard Butler would be in it, yeah. Um, New Jersey Fire Department, isn't that the next... um, What's it? Hunger Games. No, sorry. No, what was that film that we watched and they help someone prove their innocence about something and then the fireman fire chief was getting led away oh spencer confidential yeah (laughs) (laughs) spencer confidential 2 boston fire department (laughs) (laughs) the balls on that (laughs) i am looking forward spencer confidential too of course you are of course you are (laughs) 
I think it falls to Mark Waldo winning best actor because he's the only film that happened. So it's too depressing. I'm staring down the barrel of being on lockdown for my birthday, aren't I? Yeah. Tanit's going to win everything. It'll be fine. Nolan's going to win best director by default and he's never going to be able to live that down. <laughs> no, actually. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Do you know what I just realised? What? It could be Christopher Nolan versus David Fincher. Oh, oh God. What do I do? George on the film. Oh, God. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing we're all definitely not shit on US Marshals. Yeah. It's a fucking treat, is US Marshals. It is a treat, yeah. And I also have seen it more times than I've seen The Fugitive. <laughs> and, and if you said to me right now, tomorrow you've got to watch US Marshals or The Fugitive, even though I only watched US Marshals two days ago, I think I'd still watch US Marshals again. That's fair. Um, audience poll, definitely not shit 86% and shit 14%. Oh. The iTunes rental with the week names week. So Warner Brothers have relinquished their stranglehold on the 99p rental of the week. They have actually upgraded to the 199 rental of the week. Run all night is the 199 rental of the week. But the 99p rental of the week is plus one. <laughs> I will read the synopsis. It's wedding season for longtime friends Alice, Maya Erskine, and Ben, Jack Quaid. And to get through it, they've agreed to be each other's plus ones. They embark on, a, on an odyssey of ten weddings, each more hilarious and insufferable than the last, where their friendship is thrust into uncharted territory. The thing is, I really like Jack Quaid. As an actor, I think he's a really interesting actor, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's under 100 minutes long. Yeah. Oh, I, am, I am slightly annoyed that Run All Night is not the 99p rental of the week because I haven't seen it yet. But I haven't seen Plus One either, so, you know. You I'm could always watch Run All Night just for you. But I no, I, I it's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay one ninety nine to watch run all night. It's probably on fucking Amazon Prime anyway. I'll get to it before yeah. I. One of those things when run all nights on Amazon Prime, it's got a, it's got Tuesday or Thursday night written all over it. Yeah, that that that's exact. That is exactly what it is. Uh, Twitter questions. I'll just get them in two seconds. We have a couple. Um, so my phone's been a bit of a bitch. You have some right technical difficulties tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, TGP73 asks us, presuming you've all seen it, because who hasn't by now, cast your Tiger King movie. Well, none of us have seen it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um I have no interest in ever watching it. Um, so I'm going to say I want the entire cast of Grown Ups to play relative parts in it, including Kevin James playing the Tigers. No, no, no. It should be the, the cast of Grown Ups doing an like an uh, I 
Oh fuck! What's the Bob Dylan one? Oh, that starred uh, all the people. Hear me now, is it? Hear me now. Take me now. Something like that. What is it Take called? Take me now. What's it called? <laughs> Take me now. You're, you're a fucking Dylan, huge Dylan fan. You don't even know that. What it's called? It's just like I know it's not. Is it? I'm not there. I'm not there. That's it. Yeah. Because I'm still here. Is the Casey Affleck, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix one. I'm not there is the Bob Dylan one, yeah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it should be like I'm not there, but the grown-ups cast playing various stages of the Tiger King. <laughs> Do you want to know who the cast of the documentary wants to play them? Well, the, I mean, is the lead one going to be fucking Danny McBride? Because that seems the obvious choice. That would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, right, Joe Exotic wants Brad Pitt to play him. Of course he should. Mm. Uh, Carol Baskin wants... Uh, hang on. Kate McKinnon. Uh, Howard Baskin wants Steve Buscemi. What? Doc Antle wants Will Ferrell. Oh, these actual I, real people. These people are. I, I genuinely have zero fucking interest in this thing and I'm fucking sick of people talking about it I'll have Christian Stewart play Joe Exotic fuck it she'll have some fun with that <laughs> yep the only way I'd watch it yeah I think Danny McBride should play the Tigers sure I thought Danny McBride played all of the characters yeah why not yeah there you go sorry we just got attacked by a moth there's a big moth in our house <laughs> Uh, next question. What if Mark leaves the windows open? Uh, is... Where's the next question? No Um uh, says, Where the fuck has Marion Cotillard gone? One minute she's everywhere, then poof, gone. Do you know where she's gone? I do she not. knew about COVID-19 before anyone else. Has been self-isolating the fuck. I, I mean, the actual... She's just not been hot and French somewhere, isn't she? The real answer is, it, 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 it's quite, quite boring. She's just... Uh, currently just taking some time off to um, raise her kids. That's boring. Oh, no, man, but she's in... The... Right, she's in one of my most anticipated films of the fucking year. Which one? The... The, 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 the Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard musical directed by Leos Carax. Oh, yes, she is, yeah. So, she's back, baby. Oh, yeah. And the third build, according to IMDb... Is Howard from the Big Bang Theory? Yeah. So good for him, um, mate. Fucking musical starring, oh my god, a stand-up comedian and his opera singer wife have a two-year-old daughter with a surprising gift. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Let's have some more talking cars. Fucking Leos Carax. So and also. She was a voice in Doolittle this year. She was a voice in Doolittle. You ever want to fucking jerk off to an animal? There you go. <laughs> uh, we have one more question. Uh, Rick Kidd, at Rick J. Kidd. Uh, with Steven Spielberg uh, dropping out of Indiana Jones 5 and being replaced by James Mangold, who would you pick to replace Spielberg as director for a sequel to one of his films, and which film would the sequel be to? 
Werner Herzog's Jaws 2, Nature is Suffering. <laughs> Fuck, I would watch this shit out of that movie. <laughs> Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, I don't think I can beat that. Uh, anyone, anyone can beat that. <laughs> I, I, I've got one. Go on. Uh, it's called Killing Private Ryan. Nice. It's the story from the German side, and it's also directed by Werner Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Keeping it weird, I'll take a David Lynch sequel to E.T. Oh, fucking hell. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a, a, a real one now. While you're thinking of that, Sam Raimi's confirmed that he's directing the Doctor Strange sequel with this quote. Sam Raimi's loved... directing it? Yeah. <laughs> oh. But... So that had been rumoured for a while. This yeah. quote has made me internally chuckle. I loved Doctor Strange as a kid, but he was always after Spider-Man and Batman for me. He was probably at number five for me of great comic book characters. Well, thanks, Raimi. It's great to see you that passionate about a fucking Doctor Strange film. <laughs> Raimi, Raimi literally has checked his bank account, hasn't he, and gone... Yeah, I'll do another studio pick. <laughs> That's fu- uh, yeah, I know. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the Great and Powerful. Like, I need to rewatch it, but I fucking liked that film. Is that it's the one with uh, Franco in it. Franco, yeah. yeah. I like that, yeah. Um, can I have? Uh, can I have my, my sequel? Go on, mate. Sorry. Uh, it is. I'm trying to think of who can direct it. I know what what the plot's going to be. I know which film it is. Just formulating a director. All right, got one. Uh, Anton Fuqua. No, fuck it. David Ayer is directing a sequel to Jewel, right? But the, 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 the truck is actually one of Elon Musk's Tesla um, electric trucks. Yeah. Oh, uh, and shit. it's chasing down Elon Musk. <laughs> and it's directed by David Ayer. <laughs> oh, mate, he cheats on Grimes and then she programs the truck to destroy him. <laughs> yep. And it's just there. She's just there fucking just tapping away. And he's just trying to pretend that nothing's wrong with it, that it's perfectly fine. And every so often it just crashes through a fucking building trying to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need. Yep. I'd watch the shit out of that. Uh, so, questions. Coming up on Nate's <laughs> week's show. A moth outside. <laughs> you can't just leave it and pull it around. No, they're terrifying. Carry on here. So, I think a little bit of production meeting. I think we should have a bit of a catch-up on films we've not reviewed that were in cinemas a few months ago. So, hear me out. 21 Bridges. Yep. Honey Boy. Yep. Lucy in the Sky. The Natalie Portman playing the astronaut who 
wore a diaper and went to murder a love rival film. <laughs> yep, I'm all right that. <laughs> it cost $27 million and made 300 grand. <laughs> well, we've got to watch that. Yeah, I mean, we've got to watch that now. <laughs> Natalie Portman, John Hamm, Zazie Beats, Dan Stevens. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I could have on bar with that. Right, so Lucy in the Sky, Honey Boy, the um, Shia LaBeouf-written film about Shia LaBeouf's kind of early life. Interested yeah. in that. And uh, 21 Bridges, you know, like, I think that's a good show. Yeah, that's 21 Bridges feels like a solid Saturday night movie. Straight up. Are you saying all of these for next week? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that plus one. Yeah. Okay. And short bus. We can get those done. Easy. Cut one out if you want. Cut out Lucy in the Sky if you want. No, no, that's fine. I just wanted to check. All right. It did, it did feel like you were questioning it. It's a lot of films. Yeah, but we've got a lot of time, haven't we? <laughs> I mean, you out. have. Some of us are going out, are we? Well, no, but there we go, some of us are working. Look, it's all good. If <laughs> if somebody doesn't get to something, it's not the end of the world. Um, And, you know, if the week after there's nothing, then we'll talk about Downton Abbey. I don't fucking know. The week know. after there is something. something oh, will... no, it's uh, Extraction. No, there's, yeah, and there's something else that comes on demand. Oh, what's that now? Uh, Give me two seconds and I'll find out for you. I saw it earlier and I thought, oh, that's content. Uh, while Mark's doing that, I don't think we said earlier on, Portrait with Lady on Fire is currently on Mubi uh, in the UK at the very least. And I think in places you can still get the three months of Mubi for a quid offer. So, uh, yeah, Mubi, uh, well well worth it just for that alone. But Mark, any, uh, any update on that? It's the new... Uh, Alexandra Daddario movie that got some good press. Oh, the something darkness. Uh, Die in a gunfight, it's called. Oh, okay, that was a different Daddario film then. Die in a gunfight. Yeah. Good title. All I'll right, then. Send cool. you details of it. Nice. Um, so. The Ratcliffe one has that been pushed back? Guns Akimba. Yeah. That's been um, fucked the fuck off. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that that director got cancelled. Like, like twenty minutes on the podcast. Oh, uh, the director's a prick, uh, or maybe a prick. Uh, I'm still confused. Yeah, that film just appears to have completely fucked off. Uh, so we will be back with some catch up stuff next week. Uh, you know, as we as we continue lockdown. Um, but hey, it gives us an opportunity to kind of go back on stuff that we didn't cover, which is nice. Um, but, you know, give it a few weeks and we might be doing a fucking commentary for Underwater. Who knows? <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I'd be uh, fine with that as well, to be fair. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, don't forget we are Pod Syndicate. I'm still trying to look for what this, where the details of this film are at the same time as talking, and it's a bad okay. idea. Patreon.com forward slash film bastards, and um, I really need a wee, and it's 10 to 11, so I should probably go to bed. <laughs>
<laughs> right. Thanks for listening, guys. Good night. Good night. I really hope I can do it. Because they're all depending on me. I know that I must leave the only home I've ever known and brave the dangers of the forest, saving them before they're eaten. I mean, how hard can that be? Looking up at a sunny sky, so shiny and blue, and there's a butterfly. Well, isn't that a super fantastic sign? It's gonna be a fantastic day. Such marvelousness it's gonna bring. Got a pocket full of songs that I'm gonna sing. And I'm ready to take on anything. Hooray! Some super fun surprise around each corner. Just riding on a rainbow, I'm gonna be okay. Hey! I'm not giving up today. There's nothing getting in my way. And if you knock, knock me over, Podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.